Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. You guys can have a seat. I give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. (laughs) I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? I only agreed to make this video if they promise not to tell you who I am. I mean, it's really none of your business. And it's also none of your business how much I give. I'm not going to brag about it, okay? I mean, yeah, it's cool. I just got married and I have a kid, okay? And sure, you know, we get around. We're doing okay. But look, who I am and what I give is... It's between God and I, okay? I mean, the sacrifices I make are between me and God, and my reward is in heaven. So look, don't try to figure out who I am or what I give, because honestly, it's it's none of your business. I tithe. Okay, that's a lie. I don't tithe. I want to tithe. That's a lie, too. I don't even think about it. Seriously, you think God's up there like with a big old checklist going, hey, you tithe, you don't tithe? I don't buy that at all. Okay, I kind of buy that. Because what I say, give to God what is God's and give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. I don't even know any Caesar's. That's a lie. I know four Caesar's, even the little one. Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha- has the fund left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-mi taken a W-A-L-K, huh? <laughs> what if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling and it's it's promised it's guaranteed i know what you're saying there's no guarantees this one's guaranteed okay malachi 310 so it says in the old testament says test me give to god and he will give you back it goes like this i give this he gives this i give this he gives this i give this up right up there he keeps giving i can't out give god how crazy is that (laughs) do i love him sure whatever i'm just saying if you give he gives back crazy, isn't it? It works, though. How do you think I afforded that house in Tahiti? (laughs) Oh, what time is it? It's tithing time. I tithe, but just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts. I buy some. Boom. That's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom, that's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for child care. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, 
That, my friend's a tithe. I, w I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just crazy. <laughs> I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would, I would consider giving something. But not, now it's crazy. We're, we're, we're going to give later. We've already talked about it. I mean, down the road, we'll be crazy givers. But right now, it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money. That's a fact. But you know what? It's a hard thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more. I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, what's this? Watch this. Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns. Come on. You want it? Ah, come on, pastor. Do what I say, huh? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Wow. We show that, uh, we've, we've shown that video several times over the years. Boom, chakalaka tithe. I love that line. Paid for child care on date night. That's a tithe. Oh, I love that line. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to the last page in the Old Testament. Turn to the last page in the Old Testament. There are pastors that wish the people that put the scriptures together would have just put this last page of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And there are Christians that are like, I am so glad this passage didn't make it into the New Testament because I'm a New Testament. I hear people, I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't, up, oh, up. Oh. Well, we're in the Old Testament. It's Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to read it for us from the New Living Translation. Let me pray for us. Father, as we open up your word, I pray that the word of God would do the work of God in my heart, in our hearts this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh God, this morning. Amen. Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 6, I am the Lord, and I do not change. That's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how? How can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for the whole nation has been cheating me. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put 
me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them. Your grapes will not fail or will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord. And all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. The title of this message is Tithing is a Test. Tithing is a test. God is testing whether his people will be faithful, whether we, he can, can, can God trust you? Can God trust me with the resources he's entrusted to us? And in this passage, tithing is a test because God says, I want you to do this, test me and see if I won't pour out blessing in your life. And so I've titled this message, Tithing is a Test. I want to start by uh, asking you a question. Which country in the world, which country in the world are 90% of the storage lockers? 90% of all storage lockers in the world are in one country and on the planet. Do you know which country that might be? Raise your hand if you think it's USA, and you would be correct. 90% of the storage lockers, or another way to say it is annually, the revenue for self-storage is $39B billion to store our stuff. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. You have closets, and you keep buying more stuff, and your closets get filled up, and then you move stuff, and it goes from the closet to the garage. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to guess there are people in here that cannot park your car in the garage because you got so much stuff in your closet and now in your garage. And then... You run out of room in your garage. And what are we going to do with all our stuff? We got to get a storage locker. We got to store our stuff, our more stuff. So we put it in a storage locker. How many of you have ever gone back to your storage locker after years and you moved and you went, what are we doing? And you end up giving it all away anyway. All the stuff in the storage locker, you're like, why, why am I storing all of this? I'm throwing it out or I'm giving it away. That is the American way. Rarely do we take the stuff out of storage and put it back in our apartment or house or whatever. To me, the storage locker is a symbol of consumerism in America. It's a symbol of materialism in America. It's a symbol that Christianity in America has a problem. We are consumers. And on the other hand, we're like, ah, we're like the video. Ah, it's crazy now. It's just crazy. I, I will give. When, when, when things change, I will give. Did you see that character? That's so much of who American Christianity is today as well as the other characters. But Malachi, the whole book, it's a short little book. You should read it on your own. It'll take you probably 10 minutes, if that. But it's interesting. Isn't it interesting? It's the last page, the last page and a half in the Old Testament. 
And let me just give us some background. The people in Malachi's day, they treated God badly. They had treated God badly. They'd become bored with God, bored with religion. Their worship had, had turned from heartfelt and passionate to ho-hum in the temple, in church, in community, but kind of, oh, you know, going through the motions. And as a result, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, their offerings became blemished. They were giving leftovers instead of first fruits. And then in chapter 2, their priests had become unfaithful. And then in chapter 2, 10 through 17, divorce had become so commonplace and easy. And then in chapter 3, businessmen were corrupt. They were cheating their customers, taking advantage of orphans and widows. And then at the end, verses 6 through 12, which is what we read, we discover that the people of God are accused, accused by God of robbing him. And so money is a test. I want to just begin with this statement. God made you, or maybe I'll form it in a question. Did God, I want you to answer, did God make you to be a container or a conduit? I want you to think about that. Did God make you, has God blessed you, has God blessed me to be a container or a conduit? A container or a conduit? A conduit is a channel from which things go from here to there. It flows. Containers are where we store our things. Did God call you and me, has he blessed you and me to be a container or a conduit? If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear that. God has blessed you to be a conduit, not a container. So here, money is a test. Here's Five choices we get to make. Each, each uh, little phrase begins with a, a word that, that, that helps you to take action. So here's the first. How do I become a conduit instead of a container? How do I move, shift, pivot, so that if I am a, a container, I don't stay there? After today, I go, actually, God, I, I want to become a conduit. I want you to use me to be a blessing. to how, how does that happen? So here's my outline. Number one, refocus on God's character. Look at Malachi 3.6. He said, I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. So you descendants, descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. What does it mean, I, the Lord, do not change? It means he can be counted on that God himself does not waver or falter. He is faithful. He is generous. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. We can count on him. He doesn't change. The God in the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And I know for some of you, like, I have friends. I'm a New Testament. The God of the Old, the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus said that beginning with the prophets and the law and the psalm. It, it all points to me, Jesus said. God never changes. And we need to refocus on his character. James, New Testament, chapter 1, every good and perfect gift 
is from above. All the gifts you have in your life, it's a blessing from God. It is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's the first kind of movement I want you to make. Refocus on God's faithfulness, forgiveness, generosity. Refocus on his promises and his purposes. Here's number two. Return to God wholeheartedly. Return wholeheartedly to God. The first part of verse seven says, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees. You've not obeyed me. You've not kept them. What does that say to us? It's not our generation. This has been happening since the beginning. Actually, since the beginning of the Bible, people have been turning away from God, choosing, I want to be in control. I want to be in charge of my own life. I want to be in the driver's seat. I don't want God to be in. I want to be in control. And isn't it interesting that despite centuries thousands of years of people behaving this way and choosing. God never gives up on his people. God never gives up on you. God never gives up on me. Verse 7, the next phrase, return to me. Circle that word, return. Underline it, return to me and I will return to you. What does that mean, to return to God? It means to come home to God. To return means we've wandered off. To return means it implies that we have drifted away or we've rebelled or we've made choices that have caused us to be disconnected. And God's word says return, return, Malachi 3. What about Jeremiah 3? Return, faithless people, and I will cure you of backsliding. Hosea 14.1, return, O Israel. But you can put your, David Hubbard, who was the president of Fuller Seminary, and was part of Montecito Covenant when I was up there. And did I just see David, David Givens' grandpa? Uh, I remember he said to me, wherever you read in the Old Testament, Israel or Jacob, and he was an Old Testament scholar, he said, put your own name in there. And so that's right. So return, O Israel, to the Lord your God in my Bible. Return, John, to the Lord your God. Write your name. Make it personal for you. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. And then Malachi 3. But you ask, how are we to return? It's an honest question. You're far from God. You've drifted from God. You've been away from God. You've made choices that have disconnected or fractured your relationship with God. So how do we return? I have two steps I just wrote down. One, admit that there's a civil war going on in your heart. Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul talks about this battle of the good I want to do. In fact, Romans 7, 15, I want to do what is right, but I don't. That's the Apostle Paul saying that. And you've said that, and I've said that, and we keep saying it. I want to do the right thing, but I don't. When it comes to giving, to living generously, I want to do the right thing, but I don't. This civil war that's going, just admit it, it's a struggle for every one of us. This idea of living open-handed versus hoarding or living in fear, it's real. And there's a civil war and you don't ever graduate. Oh yeah, I, 
I have seasons in my life where I, I live this way and it feel, I, I feel like I'm in the flow of the Holy Spirit. God's blessing me. And then I have seasons in my life where maybe I've experienced loss. Maybe I have bills and I'm like, oh my, can I trust God? And there's a, maybe I shouldn't give. There's a civil war going on every one of us, inside of us. Admit it, acknowledge it, own it. And then surrender again. That's the second step. Ask yourself, what do I need to do? What changes do I need to make? Well, in the book of Malachi, we hear God say, the way we return is through giving. Dying to my selfishness, dying to control, dying to fear by living generously and giving generously. Third choice you need to make that will usher you or move you into being a conduit instead of a container Resist robbing God. Now, this is, this is harsh. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And the response is in tithes and offerings. They took what belonged to God and they kept it for themselves. That's what was happening here in this passage and as I was reading this, it sounded hard, and it made me think of hard conversations. Do you know that phrase, hard conversations? You ever go, I, I, need, I need to have a hard conversation with my daughter. I need to have a hard conversation with a teammate at work. I need to have a hard conversation with my wife. I need to have, you get that language, right? A hard conversation. And why do we do it? We do it because we love the person. We want what's best. We're like, oh, we've got out of alignment here. The, the, the way we're functioning isn't working, so we have to have a, an honest and a hard conversation. This passage makes me feel like God's using that language with me and with you this morning. It's as if the Lord's saying, we got to have a hard conversation. Why? I don't want to have a hard conversation. Who loves a hard conversation? Nobody. I hate being on either side of them. But there are times that we have to have them in order for the outcome to be more fruitful and healthy and for human flourishing. And it's as if in Malachi 3, the Lord says, look, let's talk about your control issues. Let's talk about fear that's paralyzing you. Let's talk about selfishness. Let's talk about giving money, not giving time, I hear that all the time. When I give my time, I don't have to give my... I don't know where you find that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. The Bible is filled with people that have nothing, and they give everything. It's powerful. And so this idea of robbing God, it says resist, or I'm saying resist robbing God. Raise your hand if you've ever been robbed before. Literally robbed. Natalie and I were talking about it this week. I said to her, I go, can you think of the times we've been robbed? My car has been broken into. We were up in Seattle visiting the Guernseys who were friends of ours back. This is 30, and, and I had my ordination Bible in my car in a like briefcase backpack with other stuff. Somebody broke into my car and stole my ordination Bible. I was so ticked. I don't even remember what else was in there. Car stereo, I think they took that. How many of you had a car stereo ripped off? I've had like three. I don't know what it is, but you've been robbed How's it feel? You're like, that's awesome. Love it. No, it feels crummy, yucky, like, oh, you feel violated. You feel betrayed. You feel, now, 
stay in that feeling. Now, here, 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 we're going we're to press a little deeper. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have been robbed by family or friends? I know people in here. I know some of the stories in here that are going, my best friend ripped me off in a business deal. I had a sibling rip me off in the family inheritance. I had, I, I have not been on the receiving end of being robbed or cheated by a friend financially. I know some of you have. I've been robbed by strangers, people I don't know. I, that would just, ah, oh, man. When I read this passage, it's an uncomfortable, hard conversation passage, I feel like the Lord's saying, my family is robbing me. That cuts deep, Shrek, right? <laughs> That's what Malachi is saying. God feels robbed by his family. So resist, resist, resist robbing God. Here's number four, relinquish control. Relinquish control by trusting God. He says, test me in this. The only place in the whole Bible the only place in the whole Bible where God says, test me, go ahead, I dare you. That's if, it's as if God's saying, I dare you, test me. And what's it say? And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. Wow. Raise your hand if you've been on the receiving end of God's blessing in your life. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's important there is we have to keep living this way. We wanna, we wanna be in control. We wanna, we wanna pull the strings. And God's saying, relinquish control. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I dare you. Some of you maybe need to take a tithe test. Like, hey, how about for the next three months you go, okay, God, I'm gonna test you. I am actually going to live and give by tithing. I'm going to do it. You said, you said, test me. I'm going to test you. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to have you write me and say, I did it. And here's, here's what happened. I don't know how God's going to bless you. I don't think he's going to give you a Porsche or many Porsches, but sometimes we connect it that way. Like it's material blessing. I think God's blessing comes in so many ways. It comes, some of you in this church, your best friends have come through this church. Your best friends God has blessed you with rich relationships. That's blessing. That's provision. That's love. And there's a lot of other ways God has blessed you. But why don't you test him in this? And then let me get to the fifth point. Remember to give God all the glory. Notice the last part. It says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing. When you're blessed by God, Look up here right now. When you are blessed, when you've been blessed, do not take credit for it. Do not take credit for it. About 35 years ago, long time ago, maybe longer, gosh, I preached a sermon. I was, I was a youth minister up at Montecito Covenant Church, and I, 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 wasn't, I was the youth minister, so I was speaking to students, but I spoke about 10 or 12 times a year up there, and it was one of my first sermons and that Sunday morning, I, I just remember, like, I, I just had this sense, God, God used me today. Like, you know, like, 
something happened in the room today. Like, that was powerful. And I remember just feeling, like, good about myself. Like, you know. And so back in that day, the pastor would stand out at the door, and people would walk out, and you'd shake their hand, and thanks for coming. They have, oh, God bless you, you know, this and that. And there was a little old lady named Melva Wickman. And Melva Wickman came out. She's probably in her 80s, and she just said, Pastor John, man, God has blessed you. You have a real gift. And then she said this, but don't touch the glory. It's all his. Don't touch the glory. Now think about it. One comment 35 years ago imprinted on my heart. I've never forgot. One com- don't touch the, the good, the gifts. Every perfect gift comes from how awesome I am. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. Every good and perfect gift comes from my family. No, 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 that's not my parent. No, 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 no. It comes from God. It comes from God. Don't touch the glory. It's all his. And so why do we give? Do we give to receive? I give this. God gives this. His shovel's bigger. Is that why we give? No. Do we give because God needs our money? Does God need my money? No. Do we give because it's God's law and he'll strike me down with lightning if I don't? No. I read this quote this week. It said, the reason we give is because it's a heart issue for me. For my sake, I give so I will become more like Jesus and live by faith because it takes faith to be a giver. It just does. It doesn't take any faith for me to give leftovers to God. It takes faith to give first fruits to God, to give generously to God. Generous giving is the number one way to cure greed. And it's the best way to battle selfishness. And that means money is a spiritual issue. And that's why we're talking about it. So let me close with this. You were made to be a conduit, not a container. You were made to be a conduit, not a container You were made to be a conduit, not a container. What? What's up, Ryan? Whoa, 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 whoa. Can we, dude, can we be done with the Old Testament stuff? Seriously? Bro. I'm kind of a New Testament Jesus guy. Honestly, the last page and a half I know. of the Old Testament. It was close. I got an idea. How about we take a jump over into the New Testament? It's a little bit more applicable to what's going on. No, absolutely days. not. Seriously, what is your problem with the Old Testament? This cat, this cat looked like he just walked out of the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> That's Malachi, the Italian prophet. I've heard of him. <laughs> yes. No, so I'm, I'm curious. When we're talking about 75% of the story... I mean, I personally love going to a movie and missing all of it but 25 minutes. Actually, it'd be more like the trilogy of trilogies and then catching the last movie, 25 minutes. What's wrong with the Old Testament? All I'm saying is I've never been to a sermon entitled Read the Black. I've been to a lot that says Read the Red. Okay. I think that's a little bit more applicable to what's going on these days. So story learning is important for you, hearing from Jesus. Story learning. It's interesting. What does Jesus point back to in that red lettering? 
Some of the prophets, maybe. Maybe some of the lifestyles of Israel. Just kind of the way I should live today, I think. Yeah. That's his greatest impact. When it comes to the Old Testament, I feel people have a misconception of God. What do you come up with? It's it's a God that kills and yeah. is all about death and destruction. And I, I don't really want to learn about that. I want to learn about how I can love people and treat people better. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. The, the God that is always arguing with people in, in public settings, the God that's flipping tables at the temple, the God that curses the fig tree that is represented. Oh, wait, that's all New Testament stuff. Um, um, no, you ever been on a trip, vacation, gone to the grocery store with your kids? It's always yes. an adventure, right? Always. How many times do you remember the stories where things just went really well, right? You went, you got your food, you went home, nothing happened. Zero. Yeah. How many of you have have stories where everything went well? Like, do you remember all of that stuff that happened on that trip? Or do you remember when the, the tire blew out or fell off the trailer? Or we had to pull over to the side of the road because the bathroom was too far away and you weren't going to make it? Or the kid that let it loose on the other kid all in the back seat and then you're cleaning like. You're, you're preaching now. I feel like yeah. we, we, we register our understanding of God with the things that maybe aren't what we would consider the highlights, but we forget what God is doing in those stories. I mean, for six days, Israel marched around Jericho, trying to remind the world of the power and authority that God has every opportunity for them to acknowledge that. In fact, one person actually does, right? God is not after destruction. God wants you'd be a part of what he's doing and saves Rahab and her whole family. In fact, puts Rahab in the lineage of Jesus. The Old Testament, you guys, is so important to understand what Jesus is doing and referencing. The whole function of the, the New Testament is to remind us of story. In fact, most ancient cultures, most religious practices ask three basic questions. You can boil it down about three. One is, why am I here? Two, what went wrong? And three, how do I fix it? Everybody wants to know why we're here. And, and if I'm not doing the thing that I should be doing because I should be living the lap of luxury, I should be able to do that, but I'm not. So what went wrong? And I have to identify what went wrong. And when I can identify that, maybe I can work towards fixing it. The real question that we have to ask is, are we even concerned about why we're here? Are we concerned about how we can fix it? Do we even care? Jesus has this awesome opportunity for all of us in the New Testament, I realize, right? With communion. And you have this beautiful story of Jesus doing this thing with communion where he takes the blood, the wine, and the bread, the body. But of course, it's not even really about that. It's, it's pointing back to probably the most important act in the Old Testament, the, the biggest act of redemption. God is looking to restore people who have forgotten him for 400 years. It's interesting that we forget that Israel was supposed to be in the promised land. They left due to famine and were supposed to return. They never did. But as a result, they ended up thriving in this land outside of Egypt. God still blessed them there, even though they weren't doing what they were supposed to, and blessed them so much that the Egyptians got nervous of their size and then enslaved them. And it was in that generation that we see the first callings out to God, and God remembered them and actually helped them out. But it wasn't just about Israel either. It was about Egypt. God sent how many plagues? 
10, right? Nine of them were in hopes that everybody, because the first few affected everybody. You remember that? All of Israel and Egypt were affected. Not to bring destruction, not because God is vengeful and, and wrathful, but in hopes to remind people of what God wants. Why are we here? How do we fix this? And so all of a sudden there's this opportunity for us to participate. You can choose to acknowledge the fact that God is gonna speak our language and something has to be broken for us to fix it. So this lamb was used as a sacrifice, much like Jesus's body was used as this sacrifice. And it was broken. Now God isn't after destruction. God is not the God of destruction. God is the God of redemption. So we don't just destroy things because it's funny or because it's convenient or because it's healthy. We're supposed to use that sacrifice in ways to empower us and embrace what we're gonna do, which is go live life. We don't stay in the brokenness, in the decay and in the death. We actually are meant to leave that and go pursue an abundance of life depending on God every day, every day. And how do we do that? Well, we use this blood as a marker. We use the blood, the wine as a marker to remind us of what God has done in hopes that we can pursue this life with God. Much like Rahab in the story of Jericho, putting it above her door, much like all of Israel smearing it over their doorposts. Now, was it just exclusive to Israel during, the, during that story with Egypt? No, Egypt could have participated as well because God is not the God of destruction. God is after us understanding what God is trying to do here, which is to get us to participate in what God is doing. And God is going to pursue us over and over and over again. And Jesus comes in to remind us that that can be had when we partake in what happened all those years ago in the Exodus and to celebrate every single year. Use that, that bread and use that wine as a way to remind us that this bread is to, to help get us out of our seats and into this world in ways where we get to live in an abundance. And we get to thrive as a result and use this wine as a marker of who that comes from. And it's a, to be a marker to the world so that when the world sees us, they wanna participate in it as well. Mm -hmm. That is my prayer for us today. Let's have the band come on up. Pray with me, would you please? God, we talk about the New Testament, the Old Testament, we talk about tithing, we talk about all these things that happen. God, I know we're storied learners. We learn through story. We learn through telling ourselves over and over again stories that are, that are helping us understand this world, helping us understand ourselves. God, I simply pray that we understand the stories of what you were doing in that Old Testament, how Jesus' stories remind us of the beautiful, never-ending, overwhelming, reckless love that you offer. And that love that you poured out over, over Egypt and Israel at Pentecost, or excuse me, at Passover. And that same opportunity that, that Jesus did that night that he was with his disciples and took the bread and took the cup. God, I pray for every single person in here that when they come forward and they receive this opportunity, that you use it as, as a marker and as energy to go live faithfully every day. 
that they use it as an opportunity to show the world what it looks like to be dependent solely on you, to know that our daily bread will be filled and that anything that we have is, is for the world around us, for, for your glory. God, I pray that we embrace that in our lives. Bless this food. Bless this community.